You know, one of the things that's kind of been on my heart this last week, and I want to share with you guys, and it goes beyond the reach of our church, is that, you know, we've been open for about seven months now as a revitalized, replanted church. And that goes the same in Lander, too. Lander lost their church probably two years ago. It closed. And they reopened um, in the middle of September. And they have a small church here. How many of you guys remember Todd and Angela? They were here for our first service. He played the old piano and she sang, right? They are pretty cool. Um, they have gone ahead and launched their church in on September 16th, I think, if that's right. And And with that goes the idea that, you know, Starting up a little church like that, like this, like that one, is hard. It's challenging. And for them, they just, I guess, are feeling very challenged. And But God has called them to do what they're doing. It's just like, I feel God has called me to do what I'm doing here and what Kim's doing here and Elijah and Joram is doing here. But, you know, just that ministry. And so I just really quick just want to pray for them because I want them to understand that they are doing God's work and they are doing God's will. And, you know, even though, you know, you got visions of like making the church doors are just, we already got to get a new building, the first service kind of thing. Sometimes it's, it's not that way. And that real sustained growth just happens nice and slowly. And that's where lives are changing stuff. So I just want them to keep the faith, keep strong, keep doing what they're doing. And if you guys think about them during the week, you know, pray for them. And their church is called the Orchards. And that's Todd and Angela Pettibone. And so let's go ahead and pray for them really quick. God, we just thank you for Todd and Angela and their church, the Orchards and Lander, God. Um, it's hard to go out and step out in faith and do your word or do your work and follow what you have asked people, asked them to do, God. But I just ask that you just would put encouragement on them in their season of ministry in Lander. And I just also ask that your blessing would be upon Orchards Church as Orchards Church begins to... Um, establish themselves as a new church community in Lander and grow and start to um, be a ministry in that community. And I just ask that you would you would have your hand upon them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. They're good friends and just want them to stay encouraged, you know. Um, let's see here. Let's just go ahead and get into our message this morning. We've been working on a series um, out of the book of Jonah, and we're going to continue in that today. Um I've been kind of enjoying it. It feels like some of the messages have a certain amount of repetition to them, but repetition is very good, and it's a it's a solid way to just reinforce in each other what God would have us say, would tell us out of the book of um, Jonah. So if you'll go this morning to the book of Jonah, and it, we'll start at Jonah chapter three, and I'm just having one of those dull moments this morning where I'm like mixed up in my book orders for some reason. There it is. I have what up here what's called a parallel Bible. If you've never heard of a parallel Bible, look at that big old monster. This has four Bibles in it, and they parallel each other, each one. So there's four different translations of the Bible right here. They parallel each other. So when you put four Bibles in one book, they tend to get pretty big. And so the order, like, is weird for me because you think if you turn the page, you'll go from chapter 3 to chapter 4, but it's chapter 3, chapter 3. Because there's so many translations, so sometimes I just get really messed up in it. But I like it, and it's useful. Um, so we're going to go to Jonah chapter 3, and we'll begin at verse 1. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation, and it says, The Lord God spoke to Jonah a second time. Get up and go to the city of Nineveh, 
and deliver the message of judgment I have given you. This time, Jonah obeyed the Lord's command and went to Nineveh, a city so large that it took three days to see it all. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for your word. We thank you that it's active and it's, it's uh, useful for us today to grow us, to change us, to reach the nations, Father. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've been going through this book of Jonah, and we're on chapter 3 today. But we started out, and a lot of us know that classic Jonah story about how Jonah was asked to go to Nineveh. And he's like, no way, God, I'm not going to go to Nineveh. I'm going to go in the exact opposite direction. And I'm going to get all the way to the edge of the known world so that you, can, you, you can't get a hold of me. I'm getting as far away from this as I possibly can. He tries to go to Tarshish, and he makes a mess out of things on this boat big old storm comes and they the guys come to the conclusion that it must be be Jonah and they throw Jonah overboard last week we learned that as Jonah was sinking to the bottom of the sea um, God had prepared a fish for him to gobble him up and that was his salvation and he kind of has a prayer with God during that time in that fish just that he understands that there is no salvation except for the salvation that comes from his God and God's like that's right and he tells the fish go puke Jonah back up on the beach. So he gets puked on the beach. And if you guys think I'm being gross, I mean, that's exactly what it says. It says the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah up on the dry land. I don't know why he chose it those kind of terms. I don't know if it, we don't need to go into that. But <laughs> I can go way down that story and get gross. I used to teach teens, you know. Um, <laughs> but this one, so here he is. He gets thrown up on the beach. And he's on the beach, and God speaks to Jonah a second time. And he says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Preach to them the message that I want you to give to them. And so this time, Jonah's like, you know, the last time that I said no to God, it ended up with me getting puked up, and I'm going to smell like fish for the rest of my life. You know, I mean, can't you imagine Jonah like scrubbing himself with like orange or I mean lemon juice? But anyways, I think I'll follow his word this time. I think I will obey him this time. So Jonah says, I am, I will obey you. And that comes the first point in my story right there is that Jonah was commissioned to go and do something for God. He was commissioned. He was called out. He was called out of the ranks and asked to do something and it's so much the same with us, too, is that we are all called to go out and do something. And I think that people think that doing something comes from the idea that it has to be something that is what in our eyes would be considered significant. But I have to wonder, what is significant? What does that mean? Because we're all called to do something. Some of us might be called to do something really big. Some of us might be called to do something that would seem in our eyes more normal. But it's all a commissioning and a calling for him to have that he has on us to do something for his kingdom. And that primary thing he asks us to do is the great commission in its in at <laughs> in itself, which comes from Matthew 28, 19, which says, Go into all the world, preaching the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That's our commission. That's our call. And it goes to each person individually, and it's important. Because God really does hope that all the world would be saved and that all the world would um, 
come to know him. And he asks each and every one of us as individuals, as particular individual people, to do our part in sharing his word and sharing his story to the world. It gives them the opportunity to understand who he is. And when we read Jonah chapter 3, we understand that God's calling on our life is persistent. It's a persistent calling. And we also understand that his love in that calling is patient. You know, he's going to ask all of us to do something, you know, and it's not our disobedience. It doesn't change his mind about what he thinks about us or what he would have us to do when we're disobedient. He is relentless in his love and his calling for us. And that calling on us changes who we are, just like it changed who Jonah was, because Jonah started out with a guy that as a guy that had no interest and no wants to reach people outside the realm of the Israelite people and saw no hope for the people of Nineveh, but only saw a mess. And it took him getting vomited out with fish smell all over him to understand that, you know, I'm called to more. And I need to do more for his kingdom than what I think. It changes, changed who he was, and it'll change who you are. His love is so relentless. Let me see where I'm going with this. You know, <clears throat> as we go through this Christian life and we learn more about who we are and what we're supposed to do for his kingdom and stuff, it's a lot like stones in a river. And you guys, I imagine a lot of you have been up here to like New Fork Lake or you've been up to the Green River Lakes or any of the lakes up here and you've been to the outlets of them where the, where the rivers start, where the Green River starts, where the New Fork River starts. And right at the bottom are those, you know, we got a lot of the glacial rock down there and it's rough. Have you ever fallen down on one? Yes. I was at Half Moon Lake years ago with... Kim's cousin's kids, and we were doing family reunion. We were at Half Moon Lake, and we had this young little girl that was part of She was like eight years old, and her name was uh, Regan, and she was tomboy to the hilt at this age. I mean, we're talking, you know, just frizzy hair, I don't care, playing with snakes, you know, just doing all kinds of stuff. She would catch snakes every year. It's, like, it's gross, but it's just how she was. And one of the things that me and Kim used to do is we just have always really enjoyed kids. And the adults would do more adult things in the evenings when they were at, at camp. And, you know, they had hung out with the kids during the day. And in the evening, it was like adult time. And we would all continue to hang out with the kids. And one of the things that we as, kid, as adults and the kids we used to like to do on family reunion is we would go up a little creek called Sweeney Creek. If you guys know where that is in Half Moon. It's just a little creek right outside the campground. And we would take the kids to catch brookies, you know, and you guys know the whole brookie thing, a little piece of line. You, you can put anything on that hook and the brookie's going to go after it. And the kids would catch the little, little cute little brookies and stuff. Well, Reagan, just being the explorer tomboy that she is, she slipped on one of those big rocks goofing around and she just came down. And I mean, she came between two rocks and it folded her like a taco, you know, and you could tell it hurt. I mean, she was just upset, you know, crying. We got her chilled out. But it was coarse. 
And I went on a rabbit trail in that story just because it's a fun story. But you start at the top of those rivers where the glacial rock is in its course. Now, how many of you guys have gone down to um, the Green River down by Green River or by Flaming Gorge or outside Labarge or Fontenelle? And you look at the rocks down there. Are they like the rocks that are on the outlet of the Green River Lakes? They're smoother. They're polished, you know. And it's probably taken a lot of years for the Green River to make these rocks move, you know what I mean, that far. And as they've gone, they've gone from big, broken, you know, they're going to cut you up to polished. If you step on them with the wrong shoes, you're going to slip and break your bottom kind of a rock. And we're like that as we journey through life. You know, as we go down our river of life, we start out course. And when we're following God and we're pursuing God, we rub and we get polished and we get smooth and we get turned into something different. You know, my kids used to love a rock tumbler. They had a rock tumbler that they used so much that it ended up getting worn out. I used to have to try to like fill the holes with like whatever silicone and try to get another round done and it would fall apart again. And uh, But they would pick ugly coarse rocks, you know, and some of them were like, where are you going to polish that? But after a couple of months of tumbling in this thing, and yeah, that takes a couple of months, they would get some pretty cool looking shiny rocks out of it. And God's like that too, is the beauty that we have for our calling, the beauty that we have to serve him in his kingdom, kingdom sometimes just takes some time and he's patient and he's ready to just wait on us and just be persistent in his love and his calling for us as he polishes and smooths us and prepares us to be the gemstone that he wants us to be in his kingdom. He's a good God. You know, we're his mouth, mouthpiece. God can reach people in all sorts of ways. He could have done some pretty supernatural things and just revealed it to everybody straight up. But he chooses to take simple individuals like me and like you guys, and reach people that way. He wants us to be his ambassadors. And it's not hard to be his ambassador. A lot of people think it's so hard to be an ambassador for God. Let's look at verse 4 in Jonah chapter 3. It says, On the day Jonah entered the city, he shouted to the crowds, Forty days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. And he didn't say it like I did. He just yelled it. And he yelled it, I think, with a little bit of reservation just because he didn't know what he was saying. But it brings us to a point to understand that when God asks us to be his mouthpiece, when he asks us to be his ambassadors, we don't have to go in fear wondering how that's going to look or how that's going to happen because he's going to give us the words. He told, Nineveh, or no, he told Jonah straight up that when you go to Nineveh and you share with Nineveh, you're going to share a message that I'm going to give you. He said the same thing to Moses when he said, Moses, I need you to go back and help my people. And Moses is like, are you kidding me? I stutter. I don't even speak good. I've made a mess out of things in, in Egypt. Why would you want me to go? And he says, that's not the point. I'll give you the message. I will give you what to say. And he did. And he did that for Jonah too. And when he sends us out, he will give us the words and the direction to go. 
He'll give us, he gives to us all a message to share, whether it's to our family, whether it's to our coworkers, whether it's off of a microphone in a stadium full of 60,000 people like he did to Billy Graham. He gives us all a message to share, and he gives us the words. And when, and how do we get that message, you know? It's revealed in time, and it's revealed through anointing. I really believe that. And for us to follow his ways, be in his will, be obedient to what he asks us to do, he also asks us to seek his anointing. You know, he really does. An anointing is a covering or a mark or a saturation. And that saturation or anointing that we are looking for is in the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit saturating and soaking us. Because in that soaking, in that saturation of the Holy Spirit is the power to share the gospel to the nations. Acts 1.8 tells us straight up, that's our commission, is that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be his witnesses. Okay, We can change witness to ambassador. We can change witness to mouthpiece. We will be his ambassadors to all of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. That's his promise to us out of that anointing, that we will receive that power. Jonah had an anointing to share that message with Nineveh. He went in the power of God. He didn't go in his own power. He went on God's power. And through Jonah's obedience to God and his sharing of the word, Nineveh became part of a revival. Let's read further. Verse 5, The people of Noah believed God's message, and from the greatest to the least, they decided to go without food and wear sackcloth to show their sorrow. So they heard what Jonah said, and they, they were like, oh my gosh, we have made a mess out of things. This guy's right. We're going to fast. So they decided, we're going to fast. We're not going to put our makeup on today. We're not going to press our clothes. We're going to wear an old flower sack, and we're going to mourn for what we've done. Out of how many words? I mean, they tell you when you're training to be a, to be a pastor that, you should preach for about 25 minutes in this day and age. And that's 100 words a minute, so that's 2,500 words to preach a message. That's kind of a guideline that you get when you're learning to preach. Now, let's see how many he did. He said, 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. Eight words. That's all he gave them. And this great city, Nineveh, Nineveh was a big city says, oh my goodness, you're right. Let's read a little bit further. When the king of Nineveh heard what Jonah was saying, he stepped down from his throne and took off his royal robes. He dressed himself in, a, in sackcloth and sat on a heap of ashes. The king, the guy that's supposed to look perfect every time people see him and look like he's in control, says, I'm going to wear an empty flower sack too. And I'm going to sit on the burned charcoals that I used for my dinner last night. I'm going to sit on the ashes. All right. Then the king and his nobles sent this decree out throughout the city. No, no one, not even the animals, may eat or drink anything at all. 
Everyone is required to wear sackcloth and pray earnestly to God. Everyone must turn from their evil ways and stop all their violence. Who can tell? Perhaps even yet God will have pity on us and hold back his fierce anger from destroying us. They realized what they'd done and they decided to repent. And out of those eight words that Jonah said sparked a revival. Revival in the town of Nineveh might have been one of the biggest revival that history has ever known. I mean, they had an entire town fast. Even the animals weren't allowed to eat. You know, I mean, now I have a I have a beagle that's a chow hound. And he loves <laughs> he loves his kibble. Matter of fact, he is used to me getting up about six o'clock for work and having his kibble. This morning at the new five 30, which would be the 6.30, he was in his kennel because he sleeps in the kennel in the kitchen going, because, Dad, you're not up yet. Where's my food? So, sorry, bub, shut up. That's basically what I said and closed the bedroom door. I'm getting more sleep. But even the animals fasted. Everybody fasted. And the king said, maybe God will have mercy on us and forgive us for the wickedness that we've been committing. A great revival from one person being obedient after he wasn't obedient, after most of us here on earth would say, this guy's of no good. He won't listen to what God has for him. He went through all the trouble of not being in God's will, went back into God's will, said, I'll do it on the second chance. Goes, says eight words to a town so big that it takes three days to walk across, and they all turn to Jesus. Or they don't turn to Jesus, Jesus, but they all turn from their wicked ways and they come to the true living God. Awesome. It's amazing. I mean, think about it. It is awesome. Like, hallelujah. It's great. I love that when you dig that apart. Jonah was a worker for God. And he asks us to be workers too. Did you guys know that God looks at each and every one of us like we're farmers? Did you guys know that? Like what? Like farmers? Oh. Like farmers? He thinks we're all like farmers. He tells us we are workers of the harvest, and the harvest is plentiful. Matthew 9:37 says the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. If nobody works the harvest, what will happen to the crops? What will happen? They'll spoil in place if nobody goes. This one has haunted me for a long time, and I've told you guys before that I use the little recipe cards and I'll write on them, but I wrote on one, are you willing to let people spoil in place and lose out on heaven? Are you willing to let the vines spoil, the crop spoil? He asks us to do our part and be workers in his field. His field is outside these four walls. His fields are at work. His fields are in our family. His fields are at the at the senior center, the rec center. His fields are at the Pinedale Aquatic Center. You know, they're everywhere. And he asks us to be out there in those fields working his harvest. And when we allow God to use us, true change can happen. Let's see here. I just want to go here. Everybody's wearing their their, uh, sackcloth, and I'm back in the book here, and I'm going to read this last verse in chapter 3. It says, When God saw that they had stopped 
their evil ways, he had mercy on them and did not carry out the destruction for which he had threatened. When we are used of God, true change happens. True change happens. When we go, people get to hear. You know, and I've I've been in that situation where you share a nugget of the gospel and someone just kind of really shuts you down. I don't want to hear it. And that's okay. Because what you're doing right there is you're giving somebody the opportunity to make an informed choice. Do you know what I mean? And an informed choice is one of the great gifts that God really gave people. He gives us all that choice. We can choose. Follow him or not. We have the ability to decide. He wants everybody to choose him, but not everybody's going to choose him. But he gives us that choice. He lets it be their choice, not his choice. Ooh, my stomach just made a massive grumble. I usually don't eat breakfast on Sunday mornings, so maybe it's about that time. And it's like 1230, so... That would make sense, right? Church is over, a meeting. Sorry to get off the task there, but but we everybody gets a choice to hear. So I encourage you in that is that we go, you know, and one of our core ideas of how ministry is done at Summit Church is that we go. It's right there. We go. We share a beacon of hope to the people. We share the message of Jesus Christ to the people. We don't force people into it. We just share it with them. We give them those opportunities to hear, those opportunities to decide in an informed way. And out of that, people are changed. They truly are. Out of that, we get some of them saved. Those of the world world who hear the gospel message have that choice to choose to surrender to Christ or not to choose. And when they choose to, That's where we get to see this awesome thing that Jonah got to see. And that's that word repentance. And a lot of people have a hard time understanding repentance. All right. But repentance is not being sorry about what you're doing, but it's about changing what you're doing. And people get to do that. Second Corinthians 7.10 says that godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. True repentance will be evidenced by life change, not a mere confession of guilt without regard for future actions. So we get, we go, we share, someone gets saved, they repent. And this is like the back of a shampoo bottle's directions where it says uh, wet, lather, rinse, and repeat. So you get saved, you share, someone else gets saved. They share. Someone gets saved. They share. That's what he wants. He wants it to be that way. We do it continually throughout our lifetime on earth. Those who reach, those we reach, share the gospel message too. That's what we're supposed to do. One of the biggest downfalls of the church is people who don't live what they believe. You know, Kevin Max, the great musician from DC Talk, if you're from the DC Talk era, Jesus Freak, all those good songs. Some people are looking at me like, no, well, DC Talk is awesome. But Kevin Max said that the most unbelievable thing to the unbeliever today is Christians. 
who go to church and proclaim Christ, and then they leave church and they live life by a different lifestyle. That is what the world simply finds unbelievable. Unbelievable. When people in the world see this, they are skeptical of the truth of the gospel. They have to see that consistency. I mean, do you guys ever look at somebody and see what the consistency of them is? I mean, I'm always looking at people about their consistency. That's just how I am. I, I want to measure the consistency of people and see what people are about. We gotta be consistent in our faith. We gotta be. I mean, that that, that doesn't mean we're gonna wear sackcloth to work. I mean, don't don't get me wrong, but just when people see that in consistent small nuggets. We are the church, and we understand, just like our video at the beginning, that the church is full of hypocrites, and there's room for one more, and I'm going to make a mess out of things from time to time, but I serve a risen king that loves me, and I'm forgiven, and all I do when I mess up is I get up and I try again. You know, That's what people need to see.